1999, the American author Daniel Handler released a book called The Bad Beginning, a story about the misadventures of the three unfortunate orphans Violet, Klaus and Sonny Baudelaire. Having lost their parents in a fire, they are put in the custody of their devious relative Count Olaf, a failed actor and master villain hell-bent on getting his hands on their inheritance. Handler released the book under a pen name, Lemony Snicket, and allowed this storyteller, Lemony Snicket, to be an important part of the story, interrupting, commenting and adding to the absurd dark tone of the story. The book was an immediate success and spawned 12 more books in the following seven years. It was only a question of time before the Baudelaire adventures would find their way to the screen. And in 2004, the feature film Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events was released, starring Meryl Streep, Billy Connolly and Jim Carrey as the sinister Count Olaf. A video game based on the story was also released, but even if there already were many books to base a sequel on, no sequel was made. But in 2015, Netflix announced that they were planning a TV series based on all books in the series, directed by renowned filmmaker Barry Sonnenfeld. Neil Patrick Harris stepped into the shoes of Count Olaf and in 2016 the first season was released. A great success, of course. And today the yellow brick road leads to the dark, gloomy and wonderfully entertaining world of Lemony Snicket. Let's talk a series of unfortunate events. Hi everybody, I'm Nils Lagen and this is Yellow Brick Road, the friendly little Swedish podcast about movies, games and VFX. And yes, today we'll talk about the great Netflix series, a series of unfortunate events. Uh, a few weeks ago, on New Year's Day to be precise, the third and last season was released by Netflix and this time some of the VFX was made by Goodbye Kansas Studios. And here to talk about it is one of the key members of the Goodbye Kansas VFX team, lead animator and supervisor Christina Sidodi. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Nils. Or welcome back. It's always nice to have you here. So, let's start from the beginning. Have you read the books? No, I never read the books, but uh, I do enjoy books like Harry Potter and uh, fantasy and sci-fi, Star Wars. So, it's it's the genre. It's right up in there. <laughs> yeah, but you did see the 2004 film version, I guess. I did, and I actually love that film. Mm. When I heard about the series, I was a bit surprised because Meryl Streep and Jim Carrey did mm. it so well. You just say, well, how could anyone do that better? And yet, uh, I love the TV series as well. I'm happy that I got to work on it. But I think that Mark Kudis and Barry Sonnefeld and Neil Patrick Harris, they did a great job. Actually, the whole first season's telling the same story as the movie. Yeah. And and yet it was, even though I hadn't seen the movie already, it was just as entertaining and very funny and, and also had its own little charm. Yeah. Did you know that the opening titles of the film, you remember when we spoke about Lotte Reiniger in the episode about women in VFX? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her style influenced those opening titles. <laughs> Amazing fact. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a style that um, the Deathly Hallows used. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also, um, we looked at it in Pan, 
when mm. we were working on our little cutout sections that were different from the style of the rest of the movie, that these uh, imagination uh, cuts actually did that with uh, Andy Huang and Wolf and Crow. All right. It's a great style. So, so w- w- why do you think the world of the unfortunate Baudelaire orphans is so entertaining? Like you had said in uh, the introduction that you gave, when there's a self-awareness and there's a storyteller talking to you, it adds one more experience for your audience. So you're not just watching and you're not just looking. You're part of it. You're talking with him. He's talking to you. And he's sometimes telling you how to feel like, Mm. oh, this was horrible. And you as the viewer sit on the other side thinking... But it's not going to be horrible, right? Like, <laughs> but it, it's funny that yeah. they're adding that dark humor and then also that different kind of connection. Some people, maybe they don't like that, but I think it's funny because uh, it's not pretentious. No. It plays with you and it doesn't have to be perfect, realistic and everything. The stylization of the whole show can be flat colors. It can... Maybe you're looking at a backdrop and you know it's a backdrop, and it doesn't matter because it's still these amazing costumes where you have um, the one of the villains. She's played by Lucy Punch, Esme Squalor, hmm. and she has these great costumes and this terribly wonderful personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great set of characters, really, mm-hmm. uh, and, and all the different disguises that Count Olaf steps into are amazing. I have an appointment. No. Haircut. Haircut. Yes, Sika. Haircut is my name. Yes, Sika Haircut. Yes, yes, Sika. So, Goodbye Kansas created VFX for season three, including a sequence with, with some eagles. What can you tell me about those shots, those effects? Uh, The process that we used is when we take a look at the edit and we see what do we have here, what are the actions that they seem to be taking, uh, you can begin to make a plan freely. So you want a regular flap cycle. Mm. Then you know that they're going to be carrying a big bag. So there has to be weight, and that's not a regular flap cycle. That would look very silly if they just flew freely with a bag full of children. (laughs) Children of all things. (laughs) So... So then I know I have to do a heavy pumping cycle. Hmm. Um, There were a couple of shots where they were going to be kind of gliding and then attacking. And then there were some shots where that it's totally freeform keyframe animation. They're going to be doing very specific things that you couldn't use a cycle or variations on a cycle to create. Hmm. So that's the first step in our process. Step one, breathe. Okay, got that one down. And then I could talk about the bag, actually, although I didn't uh, do the dynamics on the bag. The bag with the children. <laughs> yes, the bag with children. <laughs> is uh, You have to take a look at the footage and see how is this constructed? What are the measurements on this? And then you go back to looking at it from an artistic view. How is this bag going to fit on frame properly with the eagles and look good? Mm-hmm. Uh, so... What is the construction? And the construction of the bag was quite complicated, actually. It was a sack that pulls together as you pull on the strings. Mm. So if we knew we had to be picking up the children and watching the bag close, then it would have to be constructed in that way. So I believe that they actually used uh, end cloth in Maya. But um, 
every time that the animation changed, they had to do another simulation because if the eagle was flying away and the simulation was done separately, mm-hmm. then they go back and they have to set it again so that it follows. Otherwise, the bag wouldn't sit back in the eagle's feet. And sometimes if my animation was doing something a little bit too poppy, it would make the bag pop as well. Mm-hmm. So every time we would go through a change from the client, we had to go back and look and make sure that everything was working properly. And sometimes it wasn't, and then we would decide which end should it be corrected on. And sometimes it was it was my fault for making one of the eagles fly far away from yeah, the other yeah. two or making a jerky movement. And sometimes it was something that they could use on the bag telling the bag, okay, don't be so elastic, be more damp, and then it would it would relax a little bit more. So quite complicated. <laughs> Naturally, it is a soaring eagle that attracts our attention, not the plucked chicken. <laughs> Let's talk about the process of if you do a VFX shot and how it's done that you send versions to the client, in this case, I guess Barry Sonnenfeld. You started with like, blocking the sequence? Or? So uh, because we were working together but working on different parts, mm. um, some of the set was done in L.A. So if I made a camera and I sent it to them, I would block out the cityscape mm. as I thought it should be. And if that worked for them and that made sense, they would use it. And we had to make sure we were working in the same scale. Hmm. Uh, because in Maya, you can set it to centimeters or meters. or So we had to be synced. In one case, they used what I had set up. And in one case, I had to use what they set up. So I started animating my eagles and then sent a render over to them. And then they got their set in their camera. And we worked together until the scene looked the way it was supposed to look. Um, so you do have to collaborate. You have to be flexible. But that must be extra complicated if you're sharing shots with, with other studios. Yeah, I think it's probably easier if you do it in one place, but it, it depends on how... Sometimes it depends on tax breaks, where people do the majority of the work. Yeah. Or in our case, we do a lot of character work, so I'm mm. sure they were looking at the spot that we did years ago on... Um, With the Peregrine Falcon. They specifically yeah. were looking at that, and that's probably why they came to us to do the eagle yeah. in particular. Good Kansas has a rather good reputation for doing animals. Mm-hmm. But when you send your first like blocking or, or, or the early animation, what kind of feedback do you get? How do they uh, convey their feedback? You're a link in a chain, so sometimes... It's not Barry that's looking at your work. It's other people who have been trusted to the look of the show and very talented that they want to make sure that it satisfies their vision before they show Barry. So mm. so my first comment was uh, my birds were too graceful. Mm. So I'm like, okay. So you have to sit there and think, okay, what does that mean? It actually was lucky for me that they were graceful because I had an issue with the elbow of the bird. When I first made my first cycle, and uh, it's great to show your peers. You should always get feedback from the people around you, and you should be receptive to that feedback. So I showed our head of keyframe animation department, Raul Kachmani, and he said, oh, okay, Um, one thing I've animated birds before, did you remember to make the elbow only move in one direction? And Mm. when you animate a bird... There are very rounded shapes, and that's because there's skin and there's feathers. So I actually 
didn't. I was animating the shapes. Mm. So I said, you know what? Let me go back and look at this. And I fixed the elbow to only work like an elbow, not to bend in all directions. And I rotated instead from the shoulders to create my shapes. I wound up getting something that wasn't as graceful. It was more angular. Mm. And then I found if I mess up a couple of feathers and I make the movement sharper and bigger, there you go. Now it's not so graceful. So in that case, it was a great comment for me because it helps me solve some other problems. But do you animate the specific feathers as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still... The place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. Um, a flap cycle yeah. is beautiful and complex, and the ends of feathers drag. Mm. And uh, in this day and age of technology, you would assume, well, doesn't that happen in Houdini or a Dynamics program? So mm. no, it, a lot of it comes from the keyframe animator. Then on top of it, you do a simulation to make the feathers ruffle in the wind and, and have a little bit free overlap. But it begins with creating a correct shape. So if there's a big flap and the arms have gone all the way down, the mm. tips of the feathers are still dragging behind and you have to pose that in. Oh, yeah. And I imagine you, you watched lots of reference films. Uh, yes, we did. My favorite reference books of all time are the Edward Moybridge books. I use them all the time on almost everything I do in some way. Mm. And there's a book called Animals in Motion. Uh, so I went in and I looked at the eagles and I wrote down frame numbers and I did the math, so to speak, because most bird footage is taken in slow motion. So you need to know the rate that they use in order to calculate back to live live uh, speed. speed. Yeah. What is that called? I don't know. Natural speed. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Like that. Like that. Hi, hi, like that. See, you're a natural runner. Gotta keep running. Yeah, the natural motion. So, uh, real time, real time. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so there, obviously, you work with total realism. You want us to feel that it's a real eagle. But the whole series, as you mentioned, has a rather stylized look to it. How does that stylized look reflect on your work? One of the comments that I got back um, from Barry was to center the action. And that is not usually how I animate cameras. Mm. So the more realistic way to animate uh, a camera is to act like a cameraman, that you're a thinking person, you're not a fortune teller, you don't know where the action yeah, is going to yeah. move next. So you give yourself a second to think before you catch up to the action. And that usually means that the action winds up on the, the screen left side mm. of the two-thirds split. But in this case, I had to go back and fix all of the cameras to make sure that the action was centered. And um, it's cool. It's a style. Um, there was a movie, Moonlight Kingdom, yeah, where they do everything to feel uh, centered and feel like mm -hmm. a triptych. Wes Anderson. And uh, no, that is not realistic, but it's pretty cool to look at. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a nice it style. I love the style as well. That sounds like poetry. Poems don't always have to rhyme, you know. They're just supposed to be creative. So, so what specific uh, reference clips? Did you watch? 
I felt pretty early on that the eagles in um, Lord of the Rings, mm, the great yeah. eagles, were the mark to hit. Mm. Uh, maybe slightly sloppier, but they checked all the boxes of what um, these eagles should do. They should feel big, strong, slightly violent, and overpowering. Mm. So uh, we looked at that footage, and then we looked at a lot of just YouTube footage. I've used this before on two other eagles. Is a clip called, I think it's Eagle, eagle Catches Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> and it slows, It's a, the eagle swoops in, he slows down, he grabs the salmon, and it's just beautiful to watch. Like, he puts his claws out and he pulls them back and then he brings them down and, oh, this poor salmon. But there is one predator that they can never see coming. The bald-headed eagle. But again, it's in slow motion, so you have to figure out what the real-time action would look like. And when we're watching something in real time, we see some poses. And if you see some of those poses and, and the average person would go back and remember, oh, if something was grabbing something, it would look like this, mm. then that means that's probably like the slowest time. But in between these big poses, there are these sub-poses that if you didn't have them, it would just look very weird. So you have to also go in and find out what you're missing in there that makes your action look correct. And then you have to decide, I don't need to stay like real time. I need it to look like it does in real time. Yeah. And what does that mean to where I place those poses and which ones I remove and how long I hold the bigger ones? It's fascinating. It's a real craft animation. You have a power I, I don't understand and could never have. You're wrong, Leia. You have that power too. In time, you'll learn to use it as I have. I touched a little bit earlier on how we chose the cycles or if we chose uh, free keyframe animations. And most of the shots where they're holding the bag, what originally started from a flap cycle. Mm. And I had to make that into a pumping cycle. So how do you do that? Well, it turns out you make it slower, you exaggerate the poses, and you increase the distance that the bird is moving up and down. Mm. Uh, so there are some things that you can do that actually go fairly quickly from the basis of the other cycle. So that's how we got into that. And then one of the, the feedback that I got on some of the early pumping was it was too big, I think. Mm. So then I went back to my cycle and I toned it down. If you have your shots already with all these cycles in them and you have to go back and swap them out with a different one, that could mm. be quite difficult. So what we have used in the past couple of years was a, a fairly new feature of Maya called the time editor, where you're dropping these in. Then you would bake them down, and then you do your variations on top. So what we did was we told the client, we're not going to do the variations to make this look dissimilar from each other mm. until we are fairly happy with the cycle that's in. So when they told me, okay, that you have to change this, it's too big, then I go back, I adjust the cycle as it is, I drop it back in, and then when they're fairly happy with how that looks, I said, okay, now it's like the now or never time. Tell me if you don't like this because I'm about to make it very hard to go back and change it. So then at that point, we bake down all our keyframes that were cycles and we start messing it up. Mm. We start uh, moving them around, we start 
pulling some feathers out. We start making some wings silly. We start uh, having the birds look down and look around and yell and claw and slip. And we put in the variations that makes it not look like a cycle. Hmm. And those are the details that makes it look real. Mm-hmm. Those small things. And I never met anyone, man or woman, in business who was so careful and precise about everything, every stylistic detail. Congratulations. What shot was your favorite one of all the shots you did? My favorite shot was um, a collaboration did with uh, Jonas Forsman. It's really fun when it's free-form animation. So this shot in particular, where they come at the camera, the three eagles swoop down and they come at the camera and they bite at it and they claw at it. And uh, it's rather quick. Hmm. It's right before they pick up the bag with the ropes. That was really fun because you couldn't use a cycle. Mm. So now we get to look at all the footage that we're finding online and what's cool. Oh, there's this owl and he catches a mouse. Oh, the poor mouse. Like, that's <laughs> brutal. Let's use that. And so that's the most fun because you get to make it up. Mm. And of course, that means that it's also going to be one of the harder shots because it's subjective. What you like is not what someone else likes and maybe not yeah, what yeah. the client likes, or the director. And then also there are technical challenges because what you do from a certain point of the character affects everything else. So if you're moving the character around from one point and then also moving it from another point, it might get it might get a little wonky and then you have to go back and figure out how can I do this so that it's smooth and I'm getting what I want to see. Hmm. Because it's not the same as 2D animation is that you just draw what exactly what you want. Yeah. You are using a puppet. So you you are confined to figuring out how to use the skill of using this puppet to get what's in your head. And did did you hit the mark quickly or, or did the client like the way you, you went when you created that shot? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> they liked <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, we don't, I don't think we got terribly <laughs> yeah, it's much. It's a nice one. <laughs> and, well... Pretty good, right? There's always plan B. Mmm, <laughs> mmm. This is better than steak. I love it. I love it! The kitty loves the fishy. But now the story of the Baudelaire orphans is over. The last episode of this season was aptly named The End. And unfortunately, that's what it is, an end. But for those in search of something in the same vein as a series of unfortunate events, do you have any tips of other TV series and films? Uh, well, what's wonderful about this one, it, it's like a comedy. Yeah, and so dark that, comedy. There are certainly other shows that we've worked on, The Discovery of Witches, where um, uh, Frederick Olsen and Jonathan Hwifts did the um, deer running and a vampire chasing it. Mm. And that has a lot of these elements, but it's a more serious, it's more dramatic. Um, something that's more humorous, maybe, and, and I know I want to go see um, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, yeah. it's, it's good. It's obviously not as stylized as a series of unfortunate events, but, but it has, like, light touches of comedy in it and lots of darkness. Everyone is scared of something. Ridiculous! Mute? You're up next. That's an unusual one. What Mr. Scamander fears above everything else is... Having to work in an office, sir. What other series or films? It's kind of just silly. It's not exactly the same thing, but I'm really enjoying... uh, I went back and watched 
Dark Angel. Ah. I've I didn't see it in the '90s, but my husband loves it, and I, I so we we found over the holidays we found them at his parents' house, and we started watching Dark Angel, and they have these great genetic spliced characters, or created characters that are part dog or part mole or part whatever, and it's just so silly in a lovely way. Like it's just fun. <laughs> and then I, I kind of grew up in the '80s and '90s, so I'm just enjoying all the all the nostalgia and the dialogue cracks me up. I was actually pregnant the entire time that I worked on a series of unfortunate events and uh, right up, I think, until I went on parental leave. Uh, so I like to joke that my daughter actually worked on this TV series and it should... <laughs> her first job. It's her first <laughs> film credit. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No pressure at all. Do you want her to grow up to become an animator? I think her dad might want her to be an engineer. We call them engineers. Engineers? Do you mind uh, telling us what they engineered? Let's hope for many new lovely films and TV series with great effects and animations done by you, Christina. And many thanks for coming here today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, Always fun to, to talk with you here. It's great to have you. And you out there, thanks for spending a moment with us at Yellow Brick Road. Clips of the stuff that we've talked about can be found on our website, goodbyecancerstudios.com, just as usual. Until next time, goodbye, a bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wie hoch. <laughs>